everyone. Welcome to episode 96. Almost at 100. Maybe we'll hit 100 next week. We'll have to figure out a fun, spectacular explosion, something to celebrate that. Uh, episode 96 versus me live on call in the Tennessee Mies, uh taking on the uh, Tennessee Three as they've been mythologically now labeled by our media. And uh, I'm just kind of carrying over from last week. Uh, just we had a ton of callers. So if uh, you were in the queue last week and you didn't get a chance to say anything, uh, just feel free to jump up and I'll make sure to get you up there first. Um, obviously, with six dead Christian victims in Nashville, our media and, of course, the Biden White House have gone out of their way uh, to make you forget about all of them as well as the shooter who shot them by just creating as much noise and kayfabe over these three expelled Tennessee House members as possible. Um, they were on Good Morning America flashing their threes up like they just won a NBA dynasty or something or contestants on a game show. So you can clearly tell they're feeling a lot of grief for their community. And uh, so they're, they're trying to use this to basically fundraise. And obviously there's a Republican who was expelled for pretty much the same thing in Oregon. He was not invited to Good Morning America. And as I stated on the podcast today, once you realize that their starting point is gun confiscation and the basic elimination of the Second Amendment, um, everything else that they're doing kind of makes sense. Um, but that has to now start to be the starting point that what you're seeing with them. Uh, the other thing that was kind of developing on Friday is I was hosting a call in was uh, Elon Musk and Twitter were blocking links to Substack. And that got resolved, I guess, by Monday, because what Elon Musk is prone to doing is throwing erratic, uh, impulsive hissy fits over things that annoy him that are, have no basis in policy as far as Twitter. And I actually think the Substack thing not only was the worst thing that he's done since he's taken over Twitter, I think it's going to be the thing that's going to hurt his platform the most. Uh, we talked a little bit about it as it was kind of fluid and just happening. And since then, uh, Substack has now uh, released their thing called Substack Notes. And uh, I've played around with it a bit. It's basically like Twitter. Just, you know, everything is housed within Substack. And I think they got ahead of the game because now Substack has a form of Twitter as, as well as a form of newsletter subscription. And Twitter is basically just now selling you blue check marks. Um, I had always said that I thought Musk was going to take uh, Twitter and make it a competitor of Substack. And I don't know what Musk is doing now with Twitter. It, it feels like nothing's really happening. He's just going to sell you. He's going to remove verification and sell blue check marks. But as far as expanding the platform to keep up, I don't see much happening. And so uh, I also think it's a fundamental misunderstanding on Elon Musk's part about what social media is. I don't think he understands what it is. And uh, as I stated before, it feels like he's just making things up as he goes and I think what was so damaging about this was his kind of his personal grudges with Matt Taibbi, Barry Weiss, and then Michael Schellenberger in a series of deleted tweets. And the problem is, is the best thing Elon Musk has done since owning Twitter was releasing the Twitter files, or at least enabling Taibbi and Weiss and Schellenberger to all dig into those and say, hey, if you find anything, feel free, have at it. Here they all are. And that was by far the best and most important thing that he's done and he's now undermined all of that by burning the three journalists and over personal grudges with Substack uh, over that story. And so from here on out, I, I have no idea where Twitter goes. If Substack can become a threatening presence to its kind of live news aggregation, uh, I think you're, you're genuinely probably actually seeing the beginning of the end of that platform, which could very well be a good thing or a bad thing. We don't know. Um, but that whole situation went down over three days, and I guess he came back to his senses and then unbanned everyone and unbanned links, and now everything's fine again, whatever. Uh, I had opened up the podcast today with the head of Bud Light's marketing, uh, basically justifying uh, at least the promotion of, I don't know if it's the hiring of, or at least a, partner, a paid partnership with Dylan Mulvaney. And she's explaining it very, what's interesting is she's explaining the concept of equity perfectly as it relates to corporate America. And what equity is, is it's not expanding opportunity for everyone. It's not expanding your consumer base for everyone. Um, if you listen to people like Ibram Kendi, 
where he says it's you you cannot just it is not enough to just be against racism or not race you have not racist you have to be vehemently and uh proactively anti-racist is the language that they use and that's what forces people to you know apologize for their whiteness or what have you and this is the same concept that bud light is employing which is it's not so much it's not obviously anti-racist crt stuff but what they're saying is we don't want this customer base anymore we don't want you know the sunday golf dads in the suburbs and we don't want you know frat boys having it. we don't want we don't want those people anymore because icky and it's outdated and they're mostly white if we're going to go down that route um and so it's not enough to have consumer bases unite and everyone enjoys the same product and we don't you know nobody has to fight just go drink our stupid fucking beer uh, you must proactively dump your consumer base because they're problematic, and you must now give opportunity to what you see as a marginalized uh, marginalized group or minority. And in that, they found Dylan Mulvaney. And I thought that that was all interesting, at least to me, in the world of advertising, the world of PR, um, because as I noted, you, you're not going to put gender theory on the back of a Bud Light can. And so this idea of you know, dumping an entire consumer base. And as I said on the podcast, Bud Light's not a, a company that needs rebranding. Everybody knows what it is. Um, and so, as I said, if I was the head of marketing of Bud Light, I'd probably come to the office once every three months and be like, are we good? Okay, see ya. Uh, because it's just one of those products that is what it is. Either you hate it, you don't like it, or you do drink it, or it's sold at sporting venues, whatever. And so this new tactic is interesting to me in the sense of if this was like RuPaul or Dame Edna or even like Eddie Izzard or someone along those lines. I don't think anybody would care about any of this. It would just be, oh, that's the new spokesperson and they're funny and uh, they're doing the awkward fish out of water thing. But you have a company tacitly endorsing the fact that Dylan Mulvaney is not playing a character, that this is who this person is. And he's in the end, to me at least, not really fooling anyone. So those are kind of the topics today. Those are the topics from Friday as well as we can keep it open topic in AMA as it's uh, only fucking Tuesday and it doesn't feel like it. So uh, that's it. Same, uh, just before I jump in, the same kind of rules. Just if you're speaking, please make sure to mute your microphone if you're not talking, uh, just, just to kill any background noise. I'm kind of guilty of not doing that myself, but it just, it helps me focus on what you're saying as well as it makes a better recording and uh, it just helps with the audience as well. And uh, we, we are probably going to have a lot of people again. So I'm scrolling back, and we do. So um, just please uh, try to keep it short uh, so we can get as many people in. I know that that doesn't always happen. Um, and uh, that way we can try to fit as many people in there uh, to start. Uh, just jumping right in, I'm going to move uh, Matt C. up. See if he's paying attention. Yeah, Miller, I'm paying attention. Hey, did you move to Colorado? Uh, I moved out of Brooklyn in uh, just pre-to-pandemic in 2019, and I currently landed here, and I'm currently looking at possibly moving elsewhere. Do you miss New York? Not really. I okay. miss my dentist, I miss my hairstylist, and I miss restaurants, and that's it. Because I was like, how the fuck does this guy play hockey? Like, you, ha- your, your hockey league is like the island of lost. It never ends. Just one continuous hockey hockey season. Well, place. Well, yeah. I mean, well, it's forced. So, uh, my spring season wraps up here in about five weeks. Playoffs, depending. You get a week off, and then you go right into summer. And then summer's ten weeks, and then it goes into fall, winter, and that's twenty four weeks. So it's like basically a third of a of a season. And so on top of that, I'm going to also be joining a second team. Um, which is in a lower division, but I just, I feel like just, I'm in better shape now and, um, I'm getting this thing where, and those of you who maybe have worked out, uh, I mean, it, it give you some background. I was, I was always like the, like the skinny Britpop kid. And then in my thirties, my metabolism just kind of hit a wall and uh, I, I put on more weight than I was just used to having or comfortable. And because I never went to the gym or anything, I was just kind of like, I don't know how to get rid of this shit. So I wasn't tipping scales too much. It was um, you know, I just had put on more pounds than I was comfortable with. And so as some of you know, from last year, I started seeing a personal trainer twice a week. 
And the biggest notice, other than physical, which, um, you know, I have, but the biggest thing I notice is just my stamina. Like in, in ice hockey, I'd play a game and I'd be gassed or whatever after a minute. And now it's, I don't even want to come off the ice. And so playing one game a week, I'm still, I don't feel like I'm even getting in a sweat anymore. And so I decided I'm going to pick up a second hockey team. I'm not going to captain. I'm just going to be a greenhorn. And on top of that, I'm also going to join a softball team from one of the guys on my hockey team. So two hockey games a week, a softball and uh, two personal training sessions is going to kick the shit out of me. But yeah, hockey goes year round, basically. Yeah, man. So what 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 sort of uh, yeah, what sort of shots are you t- injecting into yourself at this point? <laughs> Nothing. Are, you on, the, are so... you on the Mark McGuire? Are you on the Mark McGuire uh, uh, diet? No. So the only thing that I'm doing. So there are days when I when my trainer's not available. So I have to go. So like on a Monday there's times when I'll have to train on a Monday and then skate on a Monday night. And if that's the case, I'll go for like, like a B12 injection. I'll go do like a, an IV hydration just for that extra kick. Um, but no, the only thing that the only thing I picked up recently is I do Epsom soaks, which I used to be kind of voodoo about. And now I've found that they really do help. So, um, but no, I'm not. I'm not doing anything artificial. What is that? What is the diet fad that's out there? It's the it's the the pill or whatever celebrities or it's a shot. The celebrities are all doing. So I know that one of the ladies down there knows it, but it's like the big fad now in in Hollywood where uh, it's a it's like a diabetes drug that they've now marketed as a weight loss drug, and it's like there it is. It's Onzepec. Or oh, Zenpec I thought you were talking about um, the stuff that, like the Clintons and all the. Uh... It's like everywhere. And so I guess it's the thing that's like, hey, it's great. It works. It's like it, it'll like shed weight off your body, but it's also going to like liquefy your kidneys. So I guess take your pick. Um, but no, everything I've done is basically just pure, natural, good old fashioned, just getting the shit kicked out of me. So like all that stuff, like the, the celebrities are injecting, like the QAnon people, like the baby's blood. It's not that stuff. No. <laughs> Although, I mean, I haven't tried babies, though. There's a, there's probably a decent baby's blood, you know, diet out there. Um, you know, we're probably only a few months away from, you know, complete uh, heathen society. So who knows? Let's give that a shot. Yeah. Yeah. Just um, look up what Tom Hanks is is injecting himself with. And uh, who, else, who else? Who's the Pizzagate guy in the Clinton campaign? Yeah. That's also, the, I mean, the adrenochrome. So, hey. John Podesta—that's what it was. He was basically drinking baby's or baby's blood. <clears throat> um, yeah, I don't but know. he's been doing that for years. He has. He, he really has. It's so funny. Um, I, I, the, I, didn't, I don't really care about the Dylan Mulvaney. So much noise and just like a huge distraction. This Bud Light thing. Um, I think it was just a product placement with a very influential person online, and that's really what it was. And it blew up, and it's not going to lead to much. I think I think the most interesting thing about it is what she said is, and yeah. I mean I'm kind of I don't I'm not a I'm not a connoisseur of Bud Light. They can hire anyone they want. Like I said, I was more just kind of like, you know, weirded by the by the the bathtub performance. I just I didn't understand it on a just on like a, a David Lynch level. I was just kind of like, what are they trying to do here? Um, but I thought what was interesting is she said, you know, we have to attract younger drinkers. And as I said, uh, compare like, what if she was a tobacco executive saying that? Like she'd be in front of Congress. Not not that it's important either way, but it's funny that that's how they look at it. Like she thinks Bud Light as a brand is going to die if like 30-year-olds, if we don't get 22-year-olds on board. And like, no, your brand is never going to die. It's it's one of those things that it's owned by Anheuser-Busch. It's going to be there forever. But she had like this panic in her voice that the reason why we, you know, we hired Mulvaney was we need younger drinkers. And it's like, who, what's Mulvaney's audience? Like, you know, probably 14 to 20 year olds. Like, I don't even think like that's your audience, but yeah, you're just, that's from a pure marketing point of view. And I'm not a marketer, but I know enough to be, be dangerous. Like your customer, your cost to acquire customers, your customer acquisition costs, like go after the demo that made you what you were. Just go go after that demo again. Don't go kind of create this like new demo, this like super niche demo that is a rounding error in the population at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah, I um, mean, it's it's more head scratching. Like, you know, it, it's, I'm not someone who's offended by it. I'm not, you know, I'm someone where I look at 
I'm looking at the campaign or I'm looking at the ads and I'm just kind of wondering who, who thought that this, who thought that this was not only not, you know, like a smart idea, but the other one that he did where he's kind of dressed like Holly Golightly or Jackie Kennedy, which is, you know, what I say that that's, you know, what he's imitating essentially. Um, and he does, he does it where he says he doesn't even know what March Madness is or what it is, but go sport. And I'm thinking, so you're appealing to people during March Madness that he doesn't claim to know what it is. Like, I, I don't understand the, 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 the intelligence of that. It's like doing a Super Bowl commercial, not claiming to know what football is. Yeah. The, the, the topic that was caught my eyes the most, and I want to hear your thoughts, um, is this like unleashing this army of TikTok influencers, like this campaign strategy that the yeah. administration is going to take. Yeah. What, where do you think this goes? If they think the Trump campaign was helped out by a quarter million bucks in Russian troll farms and Facebook ads. What do you think the Chinese, the CPC are going to do to manipulate the algo for Democrat slash Biden content during the 2024 campaign to get that? It's, guy a, good, it's a good question. It's a, it's a good concern. It's a good question. Um, again, when you look at TikTok's user base, uh, how much of it is under voting age? So I think it was Axios today ran something where they said, you know, Gen Z is going to be the primary voting block by 2028. And I kind of laughed at that. And I was like, no, they still won't. Um, there wasn't really a youth quake. There never really is. It feels like it because it's in your face constantly um, dating all the way back to, you know, MTV's Rock the Vote and stuff where they say, get out and vote. But what they really mean is go out and vote for Bill Clinton and Barack Obama. It's so what effect it has is interesting, and I don't know. Like I've seen just before we came on here, and this might be something I might write about, is a couple of these influencers are just kind of like rip-off Dash Dabrowski's where they're just shaking the camera and screaming at you. And I don't know how convincing that is. I don't know how many that's going to get to get people on board. It'll get people revved up. It'll get them angry. It might get someone angry enough, another leftist, to go out and shoot up a bank or uh, a Christian school, which seems to be all the rage lately. Um, but it is an interesting, I would say, concern in the sense of when we Axios reported that they might even get their own briefing room at the White House. And the thing that, like you said, you know, the Chinese manipulation of the algorithm is obviously the biggest thing there, but it's also the White House just leaning into it and saying, okay, I don't think there's any question at this point uh, about Biden's ties and his personal finances to, you know, the government of China and donors of, you know, of China. There's more of, there's more of a, you can draw a straight line from Joe Biden to the Chinese than you can from Donald Trump to the Kremlin. And again, this is one of these things where they're kind of accusing people of doing what they're actually accused, you know, what they're actually yes, engaged exactly. in. Yeah. And that's, that's pretty much the political left ad hominem all the time. And so, Again, there there are reasons why the Biden administration is doing this and why TikTok ban probably doesn't work, because all they see is eyeballs. They don't care about, you know, the the way the algorithm is programmed to basically destroy a generation of people in this country or even in Europe uh, when China doesn't even allow this kind of access to it in in their country. And so you look at that and you say, how are you not concerned about this? And you think Harry Reid. Well, Romney didn't win, did he? And that's that's all it comes down to. It's no, we have to win reelection. We need eyeballs. It's the same reason The Washington Post is on there. The New York Times have teams of people on there. They're basically, you know, if you if you watch like the Washington Post TikToks, they're not aimed at adults. They're not aimed at audiences. They have like reporters in there that are, you know, dressing like high school kids with backpacks. And, and it's kind of fucking weird. And so there's a reason they're obviously doing that. And it's, you know, the buzz, it's the natural buzzfeedification of journalism, which is all we need, all we care about is, you know, the, to churning out content, to getting eyeballs, to getting subscriptions, to getting more money, to getting more revenue. And that's really it. They don't care about the national security threat. They don't think that it's very real, that they flew a fucking spy balloon over the country for eight days and the press could barely, you know, barely be moved to care about it. I saw everyone else caring about it. But and, you know, then Joe Biden let it happen and then they shot it down over the ocean and took a victory lap. And then we just learned what last week that, oh, actually, it was collecting sensitive data from military sites. And, and that included that could have included real time communications. And that story died. They don't care. Yeah. And so you do bring up a valid concern about, you know, the election. 
And I kind of am waiting to see how it plays out. I want to see if they actually, you know, are doing TikTok content around the White House and with Joe Biden and in place. And again, it's a fundamental misunderstanding of what TikTok is. And I think there is an aspect of this, especially with journalists, to say we don't want to know what it is. Um, We we don't we don't want to know what they're doing with our data. We don't care. Like, just don't you know, we know that Facebook collects data on us. Well, this no TikTok is different. It can read every single thing that's in your phone. It can read your email contacts. It can uh, read who you're texting with. So it can unveil sources. And we know that it was, you know, they were tracking two Forbes journalists. And if that wasn't the end of it right there, then nothing's going to be the end of it at all. So my uh, my concern is you do do bring up uh, a good and valid point about how, you know, how that can be manipulated, you know, electorally and how China can do that. Oh, and they're going to do it. And my concern longer term, though, is like, let's just say the TikTok TikTok thing never happens. It doesn't get banned. Like if you look at a 2020 election map for people under 45, and I know the 45, like the younger demo doesn't turn out. But I think that over time, that will start to break, especially if you get a Marks Bay who aligns with that demo. So if you've got an actual candidate who aligns with that sort of voting block who's on TikTok and social media and like really utilizes it versus <laughs> Joe fucking Biden. Yeah, no, you're, you're 100% right. That's I've been maintaining. That's why she's doing Instagram lives and uh, it's funny cause you know, I've been one of the people out front of her as a possible presidential challenger in 2024. And then today, Ben Dominic from spectator actually puts it in writing. So, and I've talked to him with that, about that before. Um, she's not really making moves to, that, that could signal an actual primary challenge, but she might not have to, but you're absolutely right that, you know, she, in 2028, when she's, you know, 40 years old, uh, and making, you know, making moves that, yeah, she, she would be aligned with that generation. And, you know, she's hip and she's cool. And she just happens to be one of the dumbest fucking people in Congress. And it wouldn't even matter. It doesn't. It wouldn't. It honestly, it would not even matter. Uh, last thing and I'll hop. Um, have you seen Infinity Pool yet? And if so, did you like it? Uh, I, I have not. It's on my it's on. Um, I am not the biggest and i know it's not i know it's you know son of cronenberg but i'm not the biggest fan of cronenberg's films i I don't i don't think they get there like he he works with really interesting concepts and body horror is obviously one of his it's it's like his whole thing um i i don't think that he ever gets there now i know that it was the son he did infinity pool um, and I'm a big fan, huge, huge fan of Mia Goth, and I, which is funny because she annoys so many people. But I'm just like she's she's interesting as an actress. But no, it's on my list. It's one of those I think I need to be in a mood for one of these nights to uh, to buckle down and dive into. So, um, but no, I have not seen it, but I do plan on. Uh, I'm gonna that we've been having for two days here. Courtney, go ahead. Um, I just wanted to say. On the Dylan stuff, I think that that was just a once-off. So I am an influencer, but like in food. And we often will get sent products. I think they just sent Dylan that can. And Dylan did a video. I don't think it was probably meant to be a bigger thing. And I think Dylan just like did a little video with it. But a lot of brands don't care about the blowback, don't care about uh, actual conversions, which I don't understand. It makes no sense to me. I'm 41. I'm not young. I don't understand why they don't care about ROI. Like, I don't, they just care about impressions. I think they did this because they knew it was going to be controversial. They knew they were going to get tons of eyes on it. They knew that conservatives were going to freak out over it. And we are the ones driving Dylan Mulvaney's popularity and it worked. Um, I've seen that argument and I, I don't think conservatives are the one driving Dylan Mulvaney's popularity. True, not true. when he, he, not when he's getting corporate endorsement after corporate endorsement after corporate endorsement. Um, I, I think it was Abe Greenwald made that from commentary, made that exact same comparison. And I don't think conservatives noticing something is something that drives, you know, engagement. Now, what's interesting about Bud Light is 
ever since this happened, they pretty much went completely dark on social media. They're not really leaning into it, which I, I agree with you. I think they sent him this thing as a promotional thing, maybe, you know, as a paid video, you know, in, you know, in, in agreement, they would float him a check and then do a video with it and promote it and, and what have you. And what I think is interesting is they did it on April fools, which I thought like, I thought that was actually part of it where they, if they got backlash, they would say, Oh, see, look at you guys are freaking out of the April fools joke. And no, they said, no, this is, we're actually trying to engage with a different audience. And then you have the head of marketing doing the same thing where they're kind of explaining why they had to do this. Well, if you're explaining your ad campaign, it's not a very good ad campaign. You know, you should be letting it kind of do it for itself. And, you know, the other thing on this, we, we kind of talked about this last week was, there was a way to do this, to, in my opinion. Like, you could have actually brought in a crew to film it and actually make an ad and make it look good and make it make sense and edit it, and they didn't. So it's kind of, you know, I think they're testing the waters. I think you're partly right about that. It is just give him the product and let him do what he wants with it, and we're not going to touch it. Like, we're not going to cut an ad. We're not going to make a commercial. We're not going to promote it on our We're not going to do any of that. We're just going to let him do it. And I think part of that is also the marketing saying, well, if this goes badly, it goes badly for him and not us. In which case, you know, no, nothing lost, nothing gained. So it is odd that a lot of these companies, KitchenAid, for example, uh, is doing an endorsement with him. Uh, Nike, obviously, is, you know, Nike does these kinds of things anyway. It is interesting that they're all just kind of giving him their product to pr promote, but they're not like doing it on their end. They're yeah. not cutting ads with him. They're not that's doing promotional. Though. Like, and so that's that's something that is interesting to me. That that to me feels like, you know, like when Disney said we're going to in Star Wars, we're going to have the first gay couple and we're going to be and it's like a blurry background shot behind the main character. And it's like two women and they kiss for two seconds. And it's kind of like, that's, that's what this kind of feels like, where it's like, we're trying to be more inclusive, more progressive, but we're not going to be the ones to like cut the ads. We're going to let them do it. Those are pretty standard though. Like when we work with brands like that, they often send stuff to us. So like when I'll get a brief, like I've worked with, Anheuser-Busch in the past, although after I turned 35, I was basically shown the door because they were like, we don't want to work with anyone over 35. I'm too old now to... Well, that's the good news. D Dylan deals. will age out. About 10 years. Yeah, he'll I mean, still he'll, he'll that's age out. Insulting. That's insulting on its own. Like, I'm too much of... And I'm too old to be a woman anymore. But yeah, um, I digress. But they'll usually like send us stuff. They won't give us, they'll give us like a small brief and then you just have to operate within their guidelines. But like, I wasn't surprised that they sent him a can and something small, like commemorative. That's all pretty normal and standard. That's, I would just expect them to do that. That was totally normal for me. Like that's what they do with influencers, but it just, the whole thing is just it's crazy it was weird that she kind of explained it the way she did too but yeah i just thought it was she, she, was, she was explaining it on defense and that's the other thing i find where they're not leaning into it and they're not promoting it more uh because i think they might look at this and go wow that we we were maybe expecting like fringe right proud boy twitter to hit us on this but it it really was like all-encompassing and so I think she looked at this as, hey, look, our brand is dying. So we had to do this. And I'm thinking, no, your brand's not dying. Like, no, you're, you're, you're beer. Okay. And I know pe people have opinions on, you know, what Bud Light is and it's Miller Light or it's Miller High Life or whatever, but it's a pretty solid brand. You have licensing deals in sports stadiums worth millions of dollars. Your brand is not dying. All you basically have to do is once a year for the Super Bowl, you know, give your beer to a chimpanzee and film it. Okay. That's literally all you have to do to make a million gazillion dollars for a successful Super Bowl ad. And so it, they do feel like they're on defense over it a bit. And, you know, I, I don't really care about it in the sense I, I I'm more fascinated about the thinking behind it than it's, it has nothing to do with trans people or anything like that. It has to do with, okay, you know, one, he's not very talented. He's not very good. He doesn't, he doesn't have a grasp on 
the character he's really playing. And so, like I, somebody on the podcast, I forget who it was, but I really think they nailed this down that he's trying to play kind of like a kitschy 1950s trad wife, but he doesn't know what that is. He, he, he's watched the wizard of Oz and he's seen, you know, uh, he loves Jackie O because Jackie O is a gay icon. Um, Jackie O is not a trans icon. So that's, what's funny to me. And same thing with Holly Golightly and Audrey Hepburn. You know, these are, these are gay icons. Okay. This is, it's, it's no secret. Like breakfast at Tiffany's is mandatory gay man viewing. And it's, it's a good film. Um, but these are not like trans icons. So he's playing that character of what that means. And so again, it's, but he's doing it badly because he doesn't really understand it. And so I look at it, I don't look at it as, you know, whatever, hire Dr. Frankenfurter as your spokesperson, but make it good. You know, that's, I'm joking about like the Rocky Horror Picture Show, but nobody really freaks out about the Rocky Horror Picture Show because it's fine. Like it's entertaining. It's clever. It's smart. It's good writing. The songs are catchy and nobody cares. Really? <laughs> like they've been, they've been screening at theaters at midnight for, for 35 years because audiences go and watch it. So there's not this rampant, you know, long-standing transphobic history. And that's kind of what it feels like they're doing. It kind of feels like they're trying to up the ante on all the CRT stuff for years and years, except there's not been like this history in this country of transphobic slaves. Most people are generally okay with it. Uh, if you play a transphobic, if you play a transphobic, uh, or not a transphobic, but if you play a, a trans part in Hollywood, you're almost guaranteed to win an Oscar. So it's not like there's some rampant thing going on here. That, and they're, again, trying to, I think, brands and especially our media are trying to force feed this. And right now it's having catastrophic consequences because people are literally getting shot. They should have had a Trixie Mattel beer it's from Wisconsin. It was a natural fit. <laughs> Would have been better. Right. Or like, yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't it wasn't even that. It's, it was just so it was handled so badly like i said i mean they could if it, this was like dame edna or rupaul or eddie Izzard or, or one of these performers who understands this and like i said you could have gotten john waters in there to direct it and it would have been nice it would have been kitschy it would have been polished it would have been funny it would have been edited but just like dude rolling around in the tub at 2 p.m on a, you know sucking on a bud light no that doesn't there's so much happening there that's totally weird and so that's just, that's how I look at it as someone who's done, you know, film stuff and, you know, commercial stuff. And I look, I look at it, I'm like, what are they doing here? And so it's weird to me that Bud Light wouldn't bring Dylan Mulvaney in, film an ad. It can even just be a web ad. It can be something that you see on YouTube or he promotes. But like, that's the risk you run when you, you just throw your product out there to someone who has lots of followers, um, but isn't very good at performing, you know, Companies should be smarter with that, I guess, is, is I guess what I would say. I'm trying to help Bud Light. If they want to go with a trans performer, great. But you have to, like, you, there are ways of doing it, and that was always kind of the funny thing behind it. It's like David Lynch is probably just sitting there like, this is, what is this? What You know, like, there's, it's just tonally wrong. And so I think that that's more of the issue. Yeah, I, you know, Kid Rock is out there shooting cases of Bud Light. Great. That's, that's, that's helping. Thank you, Kid Rock. Um, and so there, of course, is that demographic of, you know, pissed off Southern dude or whatever uh, in the country Western girls video. Um, but I guess, you know, I, I just I look at it as just bad marketing in the end. Like they could there, there was a way to do it kitschy, cleverly. Um, but he's just not a very good performer at the end of the day. They just, they, and you kind of made a point that I made early in the podcast is I don't even think Bud Light gives a shit about Dylan Mulvaney. They give a shit about the 6 million TikTok followers. That's it. That's all they care about, which is pretty much what she admitted in that. Well, that was the last point I wanted to make and I'll jump off, but that's the one thing that I just try to be really careful about. I guess where I'm saying we're driving up the impressions. I just try to be careful with what I'm watching just because that is literally all they care about. I know a lot of the marketing agencies, just because this is my job and this is the world that I'm in now, a lot, all they care about are the impressions. They look at everything. They're not even looking at conversions. They just care how many eyeballs are on it. The girls who run 
all of these marketing campaigns are all in their 20s. All they care about, the only metric they care are the impressions that people see across social media. It's crazy. I don't understand this. I don't see how that is valuable to a large corporation, but that's what they care about. And I just try to modify my consumption. Which is smart. And they'll either learn or they won't. This will either take off and it'll make, you know, Dylan Mulvaney a, a multimillionaire if it hasn't already, or so in, in which way that goes, uh, who knows? Uh, Robert, hold on one. You might end up ending with Jason again, which is always funny, but Jenny, uh, go ahead. See if she was paying attention. I just, I like doing this just to, uh, just to like call people up to the class to see if they're paying attention to the conversation. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to dump Jenny. If you're there, just jump back into the queue and uh, I'll move you up. Uh, uh, yeah. Can you hear me? Yep. You're good. You're there. Okay. Yeah. It's always weird when you first unmute yourself. Um, as for the whole Dylan Mulvaney Bud Light thing, I, I'm not allowed to drink very much. And so when I do, I typically want something better than Bud Light. So I don't really give a shit because I quit drinking it. Like, when I turned 21 and could actually buy something worth drinking. Um, but the, yeah, the, the interview with the uh, person that was in charge of this marketing campaign, I was listening to it and I'm like, you have zero idea who your customer base is, like none. I, I would take it a step further and say she resents the customer base. Because she basically said there's this hangover of what Bud Light is. It's the frat boys and it's out of date humor and it's and it's all of that. So it's not even so much not knowing what your consumer base is. It's that you actively resent it, in which case we like but she's acting like we don't even want you anymore. And that's basically how that's the that's the concept of equity. It's like, if you know, you're just hanging on, you're outdated. You, you know, you're frat boys and you're rude and you're probably all rapists and all of, and all of this stuff. And so, yeah, I don't think she understands the base, but I also think that, you know, you she's actively resenting it is. When it's, well, you know, when it's the Michael Jordan, hey, you know, those guys buy shoes, too, you know, like and that's that's something that a lot of these companies don't understand is, you know, you're, if, if you keep going and marketing yourself towards a smaller part of the population, it's going to affect your bottom line eventually. I don't, and I think a lot of it doesn't even have to do with going woke, go broke. I, that's a saying I don't even really like. Um, but it's, it, again, it's not expanding your consumer base to include everyone. It's pushing these out so we can in, be inclusive of only you. And it's the thing that you're seeing throughout you know, you're seeing it through universities, you're seeing it throughout government, you're seeing it through this administration, you're seeing it everywhere. And again, these are these 25, 26, 27, 30 year old marketing execs that that's what that's where they came from through university. And that's where they came through for their degrees. And now they're just implementing it into companies. So when people like write it off and say, you know, I, I had a comment on my Substack where it was like, you know, this is bullshit culture war stuff. And it's like, no, this is how this shit starts. And so I, I think there's a right and a wrong way to respond to it. Um, I don't think you respond to it by, you know, going out and, you know, hunting trans, you know, trans people. Um, but there is a way to correctly respond to this. And I think part of it is just temper going, this just wasn't very good. You're not doing anyone a favor. You're not doing trans people a favor. You're not doing your product a favor. And when you're just saying, hey, we don't even want your demographic anymore, people are, you know, going to say, okay, then we don't, that's fine with us. We'll yeah, um, I used to work for Coca-Cola, so I saw the whole equity thing on display, and I saw it on display when they hired people who didn't know what they were doing, and, oh, shit, we have company coming, so let's go drag eight pallets of product off to a 
Walmart garden center and cover them with tarps so management doesn't know that these people don't know what the fuck they're doing. Um, so, yeah, I, I've, I've seen it and I've never seen it do anything well other than foster division and destroying which, whatever which sells. relationship the people have fostering division sells it sells in our media it sells on social media um it just it's they've tapped into like a part of the human brain where you know people get an endorphin kick off of you know just whatever this is look at fucking next door you know p- people joke about twitter but next door is like the most insane shit i have ever seen in my life um, I had it on my phone for like a month just to kind of get to know a new neighborhood. And, and I'm like, oh, my God, like, but that's, you know, that's companies depend on that. I would say not so much corporatism, even though they're leaning into it, um, but media gen- generally is division cells. And, and again, when our media is in bed with one side of the political aisle, those politicians know that they can also exploit that. Look at what's happening in Tennessee. It's not even about the shooting victims anymore. It's about raising the profile of these three fucking losers who basically did what happened on January 6th where the sergeant at arms had to go in and tell them, you need to fucking stop this or you're going to get escorted out of here. And that's what happened. And now it's, you know, they're, you know, you have this guy comparing himself to Jesus Christ on Easter Sunday. Like they do this every time they elevate the worst fucking possible people. And they don't stop to think about it. They don't stop to go, hey, you know, that didn't work out so well with Michael Avenatti. Maybe we we should stop doing that and vet these people before we put them on the air. Nope, it's full Leroy Jenkins all the way down. And they. Well, yeah, there was a um, there's a video today that shows um, one of the one of the Tennessee three or. God, I hate that fucking name. But it makes it, it makes it sound like the West Memphis three. Like that's all I think about. Like, are you guys like falsely accused of murdering people? Like, what what is this? Do you guys falsely get accused of murdering children? Like, what what is? But yeah, but it shows one of them in college, and he's walking around, and he's speaking clearly, and you know, there's no there's no real accent or inflection and then it shows him recently and he's speaking like a um like a like a bad malcolm yeah he's he's trying to do like the malcolm x martin i've seen that video i I don't really i mean he's he certainly has changed his political identity of course um I don't, it is funny to me, like, he's kind of just like this button down, you know, K Street lobbyist. And now he's, yeah, he's like one of the guys, you know, he's one of the Black Panthers. Um, I mean, I look at him, I'm like, he probably did that, obviously, over politics. And, you know, uh, okay, like, <laughs> talk about elevating content. That's one where I just shrug. I'm just like, uh, all right, I guess there's a new one of Mark's Bay that I, I saw as I was here listening to you guys. Uh, I'm going to, crack that one open as soon as we get done here but i mean hillary's done that kamala's done it they all throw on that inflection when they enter the south and it's just it's laughable that no one in our media notices it it's just like no no he's tired i didn't hear that yeah it's um, because it's because they want their next obama that's that's ultimately what that's about is um, you've, you've seen them do that with a few of these younger guys like, Oh, you better listen to this guy. You better. He said, and, and it's about that. They, they're, they're let down by Hillary. They know Joe Biden is, you know, 200 years old and may not even survive a second term. And so they're, they want their next Obama. That's all. It- yeah. Yeah. And, um, I mean, at this point, you don't even want to say that they're, that they're strapping the car to the wrong horse. They're just, they're strapping it to every horse that walks by, whether it's lame or limping or, you know, on its way to the glue factory. But, um, yeah, Mark's Bay has a habit of, of changing her accent when she speaks to uh, majority black. Uh, she, she's just, she's just Sandy from the block. She in no way. 
uh, worked in Ted Kennedy's office as an intern. She's just Sandy from the block. Yeah, look, I have not had enough morphine in my life to believe that. Um, and speaking of that, I will I will leave it with this. I, I tried to join a call in a couple weeks ago and I was late and you kicked me. And it was because I had been in the emergency room earlier that week. I woke up a couple of weeks ago and had this pain in my side. And it was debilitating. Like, it hurt to be alive. And so I texted my mom. It was like, hey, you're going to have to come get me. I got to go to the ER. And so they take me, she takes me to the ER. And while we're there, you know, they do, do blood and they run some tests. But while we're waiting, they came in and gave me a shot of morphine. Didn't help at all. And so I spent the first part of the day afraid that I was going to die. And then the second half of the day afraid that I wasn't going to die. Um, and so after that, I called my 47 doctors and talked to all of them, updated them on the situation. And I'm finally at the end of it and my doctor thinks it was uh, a case of, of pleurisy, um, which I would just assume somebody stabbed me as opposed to get that again. But um, yeah, I was, I was, I was at the point where I was hurting so bad. I was like, that's it. I'm done. I'm leaving this planet. And it was, the day I went to the ER was the day of the shooting at the school. And so it's like, well, if I'm going to leave, getting out of here before the hot takes on social media starts, probably a good idea. But I'm still here and I had to see all of them. Would you rather be here and see horrible takes or just see the ultimate or not be here to see the ultimate worst takes possible? I don't know how the takes get much worse. I mean, I saw that that one of the kids that Biden is apparently briefing and he was jumping around and flailing his arms and yelling. And I was like, I was like, kid, you need to shut up and clean your room. Like, no one cares what you think. No one cares about your, your Gen X army that. Hey, hey now, it's a, it's a Gen Z army. Don't don't insult this Gen, Gen X. Gen Z, Gen X, millennials, who fucking cares? We know who's going to vote. The older people tend to vote more. The younger people don't because they just don't. They forget. They don't care. You know, I mean, I remember all the horrible campaigns. My favorite is still uh, vote or die. I have no idea what that means, but vote or die. That was 20, was that 2012 Obama? It was one of those, wasn't it? Or 2008 yeah. Obama? Yeah, I think it was 2012. And I think, uh, I think um, whatever his name was, Puff Daddy, P. Diddy, that was one that he was involved in. And um, I think that's the stupidest name I've ever heard. Um, Hillary was obviously the cringiest, but I mean, I don't think it's going to change much. I don't think Gen Z is going to turn out in huge numbers to vote for, you know, this walking fucking zombie Joe Biden. Um, I do think they've seen internal polling and, uh, and then on Zach, I'll give you a final word, but I do think that Biden has seen internal polling and they see that, it's like one in five Democrats over the age of 35 don't want him to run again. And so to me, 
this is their way of looking for votes in other places. And this is this is a strategy that's not born of Joe Biden. It's born of, you know, the comms team, which are all, you know, 30s and, you know, maybe their early 40s. And they're like, yep, we got to go get the TikTok kids. That's what we need. Um, and so I, I kind of tend to agree with you. you they'll, they'll get out there and they'll make a lot of noise. And then when it comes to it, they just don't. They either forget or they don't know how or whatever, or they just do it to look cool, sound cool. Um, but like I think Matt said, that eventually there'll be a candidate that comes along that taps that, you know, just lines right up with them and, and who isn't, you know, Joe Biden, who isn't 200 years old. But that's kind of where I think the strategy is born of. There, there, is, there are several polls now that say they, they just don't want him to be the nominee. The problem is they don't want Kamala either. Um, and so you just kind of go down the list of people who would they want? Well, Buttigieg has really fucked his brand in the last year. So you just go down the list and then you get to, you get to AOC and they all, oh, yeah. And so, uh, like I said, look out either this election or the next one. So I'll give you. Um, yeah, I just, like, I agree with you that their, that their current lineup is, is fairly fairly thin to put it mildly um but at the same time you know i think aoc has appealed to the media that will run around yes queen to everything she does but i don't think she has the appeal in some places um that joe biden did being that you know he was considered a moderate and he'd been there for 137 years i mean he witnessed the caning on the senate floor right before the civil war and everything and so people kind of felt like they knew what they were getting with biden and i'm not sure if those same people are going to be willing to turn out to vote for someone who has said so many absolutely idiotic things so Anyway, it's all speculation. I don't know. Uh, who fucking knows? I hope that Smod hits the planet and we don't have to find out. Cheery as always, but uh, glad you're still here, Zach, uh, as always. Uh, we'll go ahead and wrap up with Robert and Jason and uh, get on with our nights. Robert, thanks for waiting. You know, skipped over you there a bit, but go ahead. Hey, uh, there we go. Um, so uh, apparently uh, I need to work for uh, Anheuser-Busch because I have an ad idea that I believe would have done a little bit better than uh, Dylan Mulvaney. Okay, let's have it. Uh, so the uh, the commercial starts with someone either rich, famous, or or someone who just walks into the bar and says, Hey, I just won the lottery round of Bud Light for everyone. And then the next, you know, five cuts are table of uh, frat guys, you know, cracks open their uh, Bud Lights and raises in the air for a toast. Uh, you know, the construction workers, you know, at the next table, uh, you know, the miserable housewives of Atlanta, you know, on the next table, the farmers, and then the last, you know, table, the drag queens. And everyone just raises their, their uh, Bud Lights in a toast and, you know, and enjoy uh, a drink. Uh, so that would just be my way of including, uh, you know, everyone without uh, alienating everyone at the same time. Uh, I th somebody today on Twitter, I think it was Matt McElwick, put up, the old ad about uh, Ladies' Night, and it was a Bud Light ad back in maybe 90s. I remembered it when he played it, and it's all the guys cross-dressing so they can get the uh, Ladies' Night discount on Bud Light. And it ends with him saying, oh, there's Ted from Accounting, and one of the guys waves. And I thought about that when I was like, this was another one where, like, it, it was no big deal. Like, this was just something that was kind of funny. And, you know, today, who even knows how an ad like that would even play? 
um, either either both on the left or the right. So um, your your idea probably would have gone over uh, a lot better. Um, Robert, I'm picking up softball for the first time in since I was probably 14 of swinging a bat and a ball. Do you have any advice other than don't let the the women play outfield? <laughs> Um, generally, um, uh, the big thing is, uh, you know, just to not hit under the balls, um, you know, for pop-ups, uh, some pitchers will, if it's low pitch, um, uh, make the ball spin opposite, like, you know, either bowling style roll or, uh, they'll do it opposite, uh, thinking that, uh, it'll force more pop-ups. Uh, so, uh, the big thing is, uh, you know, line drives or keep it on the ground, um, you know, with your swing and, uh, you'll, uh, you'll have better luck than most. Uh, so that's, uh, the hitting coach, uh, advice for, uh, slow pitch softball anyway. Um, but I, I would like to finish with the best beer ad I've ever seen. Uh, and that was for Guinness. The ad just shows uh, the showable parts of a beautiful naked woman's torso. And she is rocking left and right, side to side. And uh, uh, this continues for a few seconds. And then you see a guy uh, from, uh, from her left put down a bottle of Guinness on her back. And then a hand from her right side goes to pick up the bottle of Guinness. And the caption says, you know, you know, it's best to share Guinness with a friend. And so the man on the right puts the bottle back down on her back as the, the rocking continues. And then the caption continues, or two friends, and then a hand from underneath the torso grabs uh, the Guinness bottle. Well, anyway, I hope that, uh, you know, lightens uh, things up for everyone. Have a good one, and cheers, Stephen. Thanks, Robert. And we'll, we'll, I guess, wrap up tonight in a good time with Jason again. Yeah. You're all off. Bring us home, Jason. All right. Well, first off, the the beer of frat boys is the natural light, which combines Bud Light's unpalatability with a very lower price point. And you can buy it in suitcases of 32 cans at a time, if that's what you're looking for. Um, but, yeah, you also oh, – so yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I thought of with Bud Light. When I think of Bud Light, I think of it's – it's like your default beer at a hockey game yeah. or, you know, a football game or a baseball state, like, and that's not even by choice. That's because of the licensing deals, you know, either ballparks or organizations or even the MLB or, you know, NBA or NHL has with them. And so that's the other thing why I found, you know, her explanation unconvincing. It's because your, your beer, your brand is not going to die. You have multi-million dollar licensing deals. Uh, to carry Bud Light at your stadiums and stuff. And so your your consumer base isn't like the frat boy party. Um, it, you know, it's certainly a big part of it. It's, you know, guys drink it out on the golf course or whatever. Um, but she kind of throws out this weird cliche image of what she thinks the demographic is. And I'm kind of like, I I don't see that. You you have million multi-million dollar licensing deals with sports leagues and whatever and even even overseas like not even here but even soccer or whatever. And that's your revenue stream. Like that's your majority of the revenue stream. Um it's not like the dude buying the you know the six pack on a Sunday afternoon. I mean that's cer- certainly it is. It's in stores, but that's not to me where your revenue can Yeah, you can't you Maybe not now, but you can't avoid stocking Bud Light if you're any kind of business. Uh, two of my friends, they a married couple, they went to Ireland for a while and they got really into 
the idea that they were going to open a pub, you know, not like a sports bar, but, you know, just a traditional Irish pub, kind of a more low-key atmosphere. And their whole plan was we're only going to serve like craft stuff or stuff we imported from Ireland. And they did that for a while, but eventually they had to give in and stock Bud Light, even though they never wanted to. It's just unavoidable. You don't need a brand for it. It's like the the municipal water company worrying about. It. Yeah, no, I mean that's yeah, it's exactly right. Like it's and and I don't even see it as anything like having like I said, if you had a character who's playing it, it's it'd be like you know what if it's good and if the ad is well, you'll be able to sell. I mean, anyone will be able to sell it. Like you could get Pee Wee Herman to do a fucking beer commercial. And that to me was always just the thing. It's like they didn't, they just, like you said, they sent it through paid partnership, like Courtney said, and they said, well, you just film it and do whatever. We're going to be over here, <laughs> nowhere near this. We're not going to send you a film crew. We're not going to put that much money into it. When that's what I think ultimately was the biggest mistake. Yeah, you're probably right. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention, I wanted to re up one of my comments from, I guess, last week's. One of last week's podcasts, I, I I thought of what Republican AG should do, and what they should do is start trying to figure out theories to charge all the Democratic groups that pretend to be like hardcore MAGA um, packs that always are like trying to uh, run ads for the to boost the more extreme, insane candidate. I mean, it's fraudulent in its own way. I'm sure you can. Be creative enough if that's if that's the new norm. We're going to be bending every sale to get at people. It kind of makes. Uh, in theory, I mean, yeah, I mean, the the problem is they're not really breaking any laws. That they're just running, you know, their their Democrat parks or packs or dark money groups, and they've figured out the strat. They figured out the blueprint, which they tried in 2016 and it failed, but it's worked pretty much ever since then. Um, which is all right, Republicans. If you're gonna if you're gonna run, you know, people like Doug Mastriano, who I was looking at a Senate seat, and if you're gonna run Kerry Lake for Senate in Arizona, hey, don't let us don't let us get in the way of that. In fact, here, take some money, and they've kind of figured that out. And I, you know, I don't think the solution to that problem is, you know, a Republican Attorney General. I think the solution to that problem is the right has to wake up and stop, and you know empowering people like that to think that they can, you know, run for Senate. I mean, I get that. And I agree with you as a general matter, but it does have a tinge of fraud in the whole, Oh, we founded super mega let's go pack to make the normal candidates seem bad and the bad candidates seem normal. But yeah, I mean, I agree with you, but it's the spirit of the age to, just go at it and see what uh, yeah I, I, the, the solution is Republicans have to stop getting behind crazy candidates and the problem with that is you know you have local you have local Republican constituency so you know like Michigan the GOP is kind of gone extreme MAGA it's gone extreme MAGA in Arizona and now it's gone extreme MAGA in Colorado and those you know Arizona I still think Arizona's for all intents and purposes a toss up purplish state but it's headed blue real fast Colorado's pretty much full blue at this point Michigan which voted for Trump in 2020 you know 2016 looks like it's you know full tilt blue now and so if you know that that's what they're doing if you are a state constituency or if you're even a voter or whatever they have to get out of a primary so if you know that that's the strategy and i agree it's a lot to overcome money wise because if you see those ads on television just flooding it then you know, there's people that get convinced about that and that's very similar to how trump won in 2016 he was the media's best friend he would talk to any camera anywhere at any time and say anything you know people i mean he was on the cover of rolling stone he hosted saturday night live and then the second he got the nomination they all just turned on him and it didn't work. Um, it backfired spectacularly so. Um, but I mean, to me, the, the solution is that the, the voters have to wake up and see the strategy of what's going on. And if you do have PACs backing these types of candidates, then you look at it and you say, why are they doing that? Why, why is the media 
you know, once again, trying to employ the strategy of elevating Trump. If that's the candidate they're screaming in your face that they want, why are you dumb enough to go along with it? And until they figure that out, and that's what I wrote at Newsweek, um, and until they reject that, or at least figure out that the people doing this aren't your fucking allies. They're not your friends. Okay. Maggie Haberman is not reporting on Trump world because she is against, you know, she really cares about democracy and doesn't want to see Donald Trump get the nomination. No, of course she wants that. And so I guess I look at it and say, if these people who fucking hate you, they, they don't even care if you're shot anymore by a, an ideologically aligned shooter, as we saw in Kentucky and you saw in uh, Nashville then why would you go out of your way to do everything to help them? I don't, I don't get that. Um, I, I think there's a certain aspect of, you know, boomer voter who is just honestly too fucking stupid to just research candidates and research why they're doing that. Uh, Carrie Lake will just say the things that they want to hear. And so they're going to go along with it. And it, it's a very real possibility. They're going to do this again. Doug Mastrano is being pushed by the Pennsylvania GOP to run for a Senate seat. And I mean, okay, get in losers. We're going losering. That's, that's the natural end to that all. And until voters wake up and see that there are alternatives and maybe try to moderate a bit, then they're going to keep doing it. And as long as they're willing to go along with it, the media and the political left are going to keep doing it. So not to pop your balloon there, Jason, but that's just kind of, that's, you know, that's the, that's the lay of the land and they're just yeah. going to keep doing it. So I'll give um, no, yeah, you're right. Um, and I kind of think with the Kentucky one, especially we're starting to, we're moving into the mass shooters for gun control, like, you know, take our guns or we'll kill you at this point. Um, uh, the other thing is you mentioned, um, breakfast at Tiffany's and I just remembered that threw me back to my junior year of high school where my, where our, uh, English teacher explained that Holly Golightly is essentially uh, Truman Capote's author avatar. <laughs> I, I haven't given much thought to that one. I mean, he was gay, gay, not trans, but yeah, that's if you want to know what hanging out with uh, Truman Capote was like, you know, it's hanging out. With <laughs> That's funny. I'm just now. I'm just thinking of. I'm trying to compare, and I've, I've obviously seen stuff with Truman Capote, but now I'm just trying to think of Philip Seymour Hoffman doing that in that role. So there we go. Uh, Jason, thanks, and uh, thanks for wrapping it up. Uh, wrapping it up again. So uh, this was a good, just uh, quick, short episode. Thanks again to my callers. It's good to see uh, familiar faces back. Uh, it's episode 96, the Tennessee Mees. Um, I will be uh, back on Substack tomorrow. I know we didn't talk a lot about the drama with Musk and stuff, but um, uh, again, it's going to be interesting to see what, what unfolds with Substack notes. I'm really curious to see the future of that. Um, so I will be back on Substack tomorrow. So uh, tune in for that. And then I'm, I will probably do uh, another call in on Friday just to wrap up the week, uh, just because those are always good general topics and people can kind of just come in and do what they want. So once again, thanks to my callers. Thanks again to the, uh, you guys for setting aside an hour to listen and keeping uh, Versus Media up towards the top of uh, Colin. We're still, I think, ranked two or three. Uh, I don't think I'm ever going to beat Brianna Joy Gray. So she's she does like five a day of these, so whatever. Uh, thanks again, everyone. Have a good night, and uh, I'll see you back on Substack tomorrow. Cheers. <laughs>